Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnston Sunrise. Jake, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well, Dan. How's it going? It's been, uh, we haven't recorded together in a couple weeks here. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, kind of trying to catch up with all the political uh, news going on in both of our uh, municipalities, so to speak. Uh, a lot going on in Cranston, I know, and a lot going on uh, over on the Johnson side as well. It's really getting down to the, the nitty-gritty, down to the wire, about uh, less than a month away from the election now. Indeed. It's what, uh, it's 20, I forget how many days. Yeah, voting. it's voting something along. Voting next week. Voting, uh, I believe, on the 13th is when the early voting starts here. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. Interesting. Mail ballot ballot applications are out, and I don't know if the ballots are. I think they're getting mailed soon, or. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's been. I know you've been uh, busy at uh, hard at work, uh, speaking with the candidates up in in Johnston and uh, profiling them for the sunrise. And those have been great. Yes, and uh, and your work down in Cranston. I suppose it's a good place to start. You're uh, fresh off the debate last night. Yeah, I suppose that is a good place to start. We uh, the finalists for mayor, uh, Democrat Maria Bucci and Republican Ken Hopkins were uh, were good enough to join us last night for a uh, general election debate. We did a couple of primary debates in August, and uh, this one I think was uh, the best we've done so far. I was really pleased with how it came out. I thought it was a really uh, good discussion, good uh, between the two of them. You know, they. They got a couple of shots in and they, you know, it was a, a spirited debate um, between the two of them. We covered a lot of ground. I was I was glad we were able to hit uh, as many issues and questions as we did. And, um, yeah, I'd encourage voters in, in Cranston or those beyond who have an interest in, uh, in what's going on in the city of Cranston to check it out. You can visit our the Cranston Herald Facebook page or the Cranston Public Library's Facebook page to find the stream. And uh, thank you. Uh, I'd be remiss if I was not to thank Ed Garcia, the director of the Cranston Public Library, and his staff for all their their hard work and uh, for making the event possible. We did it uh, again um, by live stream with uh, myself, the candidates, and a couple other folks in the room, but that was about it. But um, I didn't hear any uh, reports of sound issues or anything, and um, the, the early reviews I've gotten, some feedback from folks on both sides of the ledger and, uh, and other observers, and it seems to have been well-received, so I was grateful for that. Um, they're a lot of fun. They're fun to do. I get very, uh, I get anxious about them, but I'm getting more comfortable with it, you know, and uh, uh it's a lot of fun. It was. It was. I'm glad we've been able to do them, especially this year, because uh, I know all the candidates have been out, uh, you know, knocking on doors and meeting voters and stuff. But uh, it's certainly different this year. So this, I think, is a good way to to reach as many people as possible. Um, but I'd. Uh, I know those uh, Maria and Ken have upcoming appearances on uh, on Channel 12 and Channel 10 in the next couple of weeks here. So keep your eyes out for that. And I should also mention that uh, uh, I'll make a quick plug on the Cranston side that on the 19th of October, a Monday night, um, it is all booked now. 6.30 p.m. We'll have the six candidates for citywide seats uh, on the city council. Um, we'll be doing a forum with them on Zoom. It'll be broadcast, I believe, on the, the library's Facebook page. Um, we would have liked to do a similar thing you know obviously we'd love to do it in person but uh getting six folks in the room and on camera with the you know what we have is just not going to be uh feasible so this is a great way i think to um at least get all the candidates in, in a single setting and uh hear their views on some important issues we've uh i've been uh, fortunate enough to sit down with all six of the candidates now the uh, for citywide the three democrats i spoke with before the primary um, and I've been meeting with the Republicans the last couple of weeks. Um, you've already heard from Don Roach, a Republican candidate on this podcast. Um, coming up today and tomorrow, I'll be releasing a, a little batch of episodes. Uh, um, that includes interviews with the other two uh, Republican citywide hopefuls, uh, 
Nicole Renzulli and Bob Ferry. So keep your eyes out for those and keep your market calendars for the 19th because that, be, that should be a good one. 2020 uh, has turned you into podcasting machine, Dan. You know, it's uh, I, it's making me wish I'd gotten into this uh, a lot sooner. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I get I hear good things about. Uh, how, I'll make a special shout out to Ward Five Councilman Chris Poplowskis at Cranston, who had uh, uh, very kind words uh, about the podcast. Said asked was anxious to hear a few episodes, and he sent his regards to you as well, Jake. So, oh, well, Chris is a great guy. So, thank you and shout out, Chris. Shout out to Chris. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, let me make a note, too, uh, an important plug, I think, for uh, our our publisher, our boss, the editor of The War of Beacon, John Howell. He hosted a debate earlier this week, uh, similar live streams in partnership with the War Public Library of the two candidates for mayor of Warwick, uh, Democratic incumbent Joe Solomon and incumbent, or, uh, independent Frank Picosi. Um So I have not, unfortunately, because of how crazy this week has been gotten a chance to, uh, and this debate was at four o'clock on Tuesday, right at the Herald's deadline. So I haven't gotten a chance to, uh, to watch it all yet, but I, I watched a couple of little segments and, uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, and I'd encourage everyone to, to, to go do so as usual. I've been so, uh, I've got the tunnel vision going on with Cranston right now, so I'm not super well versed to talk about the Warwick stuff and we will, uh, We'll have to get John in here, yes. um, sit down and, and chat with us about that before the election. I think uh, that would be good. But um, I'd certainly encourage, again, <clears throat> Warwick voters or folks who are interested uh, in other neighboring communities to check out that debate. Um, John said he, he thought it went well, and uh, I know it got a lot of good uh, good viewership numbers, good engagement. So... Um, looking forward to checking that out as well. Um, and I believe those, uh, those two candidates were also on newsmakers on, on, uh, PRI today, which, uh, mm. another venue for Warwick residents to hear from the candidates. That's right. What's, uh, what's happening in, in Johnston, Jake? What's, uh, uh, it was, uh, some, some, some generally, you know, big stories in Johnston did a little story on the, uh, police department. They kind of reflected on their accreditation with, uh, RIPAC, which is the Rhode Island Police Accreditation Commission, I believe is, is how that's, uh, abbreviated there. Uh, it was interesting. I talked with Matt Benson, who is in charge of, Captain Matt Benson is in charge of the accreditation unit over there and Chief Joe Raza. Uh, just talk a little bit about how accreditation really comes together, uh, how few departments there are across the state that have one, let alone dual uh, certifications. So it was an interesting discussion, um, and I kind of pulled a little bit from their Q&A with RIPAC as well because uh, they sat down for an interview, and uh, Chief Tamburini, well, former Chief Tamburini, accepted the accreditation at a ceremony. So it's uh, it was a nice story there. We had a couple of profiles um in the paper this week for candidates. Uh, we're kind of doing the unopposed ones right now uh, because this is kind of a, a little bit of a lull. Then we'll be hitting the District 42 race, 44, uh, 43 race, and uh, kind of once we get closer to the election. Um, we have a story about Lauren Garzone, who is running for District 2 on the council. She is unopposed, so she will likely be getting that seat. And I wrote about Bob LaFazia, who is the chair of the school committee. That was a fun conversation. He kind of reflected on his 20 years so far and uh, how things have radically changed and he really praised superintendent bernard delulo for that um kind of changing the culture a little bit and uh out you know, there was a lot of dissension when he first joined uh Lafazia, there was and now it's you know things are going pretty smoothly in johnson and uh, other than the out of district busing which they're still trying to figure out uh ways to alleviate the stress there uh the mm -hmm. financial burden uh in that regard but those are uh, some of the big stories there's a craft show going on on columbus day up in johnson there'll be about 40 vendors there uh, give that a shout out. Joanne Bromley talked to me about that. She's helping organize it. It's a very interesting story. I recommend people go check it out. She's trying to help people access their creative side, and I, I found the conversation uh, fascinating. So, if you're around on Columbus Day and looking for something to do, uh, go go uh, go down to the, the Plainfield Pike and uh, check out this uh, huge craft fair. It'll be interesting. Right on. Yeah. That's cool. Oh yeah. 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 I don't know. Otherwise, uh, Cranston. Uh, Cranston Police, a uh, good throughout of some of the other news from Cranston, the Cranston Police uh, made in a, uh, or I guess Providence Police made the arrest, but uh, uh, 
the uh, a suspect has been taken into custody and charged in connection with uh, the murder um, that occurred uh, in the Cranston Street area recently. Um, they had a the police had a, a press event last uh, late last week about it. You check that out in this week's Herald. Um, we uh, John Howell, our editor and publisher, broke the news that uh, Justice Flaherty is retiring from the Rhode Island Supreme Court. So that was a great get for John, really a testament to uh, the connections and the respect he has in the, in the, uh, the state's, uh, you know, political and government scene. So kudos to John for that scoop, and it was great to have it in the Herald um, uh, uh, this week. Um, trying to think what else. In the Herald, we've had an ongoing series of uh, profiles of the, the projects that would be funded through this uh, Big $147 million bond question um, for school facility improvements. It's going before voters in November. Jen Cowart, our longtime contributor, who uh, now uh, works with us on a more limited basis and also is in a formal um, communications role with the school district, has been authoring those and doing a nice job uh, rounding up the different facets of the project's um, it's really ambitious. I mean, it, it runs the gamut from uh, um, a complete rebuilding of Gladstone School to uh, some uh, you know, Garden City schools also in line for some major renovations, and then Parkview and Cranston West. And uh, my brain is fried, so you'll forgive me that I forget the fifth school. But anyway, check out those profiles. I think we have at least one more coming. Um, and that's another note to make. See if I can get uh, Superintendent Nota Massey on maybe again to discuss uh, those projects and the school reopening process, which is uh, set to enter its third phase in Cranston next week with all grades back for the hybrid approach. Um, we're going to have to watch closely how that goes. I know Governor, Governor Raimondo had previously uh, been pushing for an October 13th date for a full in-person return, but um, I know in Cranston, the superintendent sees the, the hybrid model as kind of the, the peak of what they're going to be able to do um, and the only way to get all the kids back at school on some basis. So we'll see, uh, we'll be watching that to see how that dynamic plays out with different districts. And um, obviously we're keeping a close watch still on the, the COVID-19 situation. Um, there have been some uh, troubling trends in the data here locally. Hospitalizations are up to uh, um, back to, I believe, June, mid-June levels. Um, and uh, there are, you know, they're running lots of tests. They, I think over 10,000 either yesterday or the day before. Um, but the numbers and the numbers, the positivity rates and stuff for Fairly stable and low, but it's certainly worth keeping an eye on as we move into the, the winter here and temperatures continue to drop. People are spending more time indoors. Um, you know, all of these things are conditions that are likely more conducive to the spread of the virus. So, um, and I know this is this is the first time we've spoken, Jake, obviously, since the, uh, the biggest story going out right now, the president of the United States diagnosed with the virus, and uh, it's kind of unclear exactly what condition he's in and um yeah it's very, that, so. very troubling that the white house won't provide the last negative test that uh that that he had conducted uh really really unnerving and uh dissatisfying yeah i mean it's it's a matter of i think it's a matter of public knowledge the, the president's health should be a matter of public knowledge um you know it's it's a matter of how fit he is to serve right now i mean it's just it's a matter of public health and public knowledge i think everybody should have the right to know when his last negative test was and the White House is just obfuscating and not revealing that information, that just makes it look worse. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, but there's certainly a tradition in uh, this country of presidents concealing, uh, you know, health information, President Kennedy, President Roosevelt, many others. But uh, I, I, you know, it is hard to, to visualize another um you know, any of our, our modern recent administrations, uh, um, you know, taking this kind of approach 
it's such a serious, uh, serious thing. So I don't, it's, um, it is really unfortunate for the country. We obviously hope the president uh, has recovered, but um, you know, the, it's a, it's a very troubling situation. You're yeah. right for, for everyone. So I don't know. We got a few weeks left here and, and hopefully, you know, uh, the election goes smoothly and in such a way that it doesn't result in this protracted and corrosive and, and uh, potentially dangerous, uh, you know, track of, of not of uncertainty or question of the results and that kind of thing. You know, hopefully we can avoid that kind of crisis and situation, whatever way it goes, you know, the, um, I think the country, the country could really use some, um, a win, (laughs) any any positive news. Yeah. You know, but, uh, to turn it back here locally, uh, you know, what's been, what's been leading the, uh, leading the front pages, uh, and the, the home pages of uh, various outlets this week has been, of course, the trial of Jeff Britt, a uh, former a contractor who worked on the campaign of House Speaker Nicholas Mattiello back in 2016. These proceedings, uh, they just wrapped up today, I understand. I I didn't have the bandwidth. I, I followed the arguments or the uh, the testimony on, uh, on Monday, listened to the judge's opening and that initial testimony uh, from the uh, state's witnesses, but <clears throat> because of our production schedule and stuff, I I had to kind of tune out the rest of the week and just follow it on on Twitter and stuff. I would really encourage folks, uh, our friend Ian Donis at the Publix Radio, who's uh, graciously sharing his weekly column with us for our publications. He's been covering this trial, tweeting it, writing up um, updates frequently. I'd encourage folks to check him out. Um, I know Eli Sherman, I think at WPRI, Tim White at WPRI have both been covering it as well. Um, the journal has been covering the proceedings, Kathy Gregg. So there's plenty of places for folks to go and, and, uh, get a full sense. And I know the proceedings were streamed that I was listening on the, uh, uh, YouTube stream or a, uh, Vimeo, I should say through the, uh, the court system. So if you Google the, the Rhode Island court system, it was actually pretty, easy to find if you want to go. And I think they've archived all the, all the proceedings. So I might do some catch up listening on that, but some interesting revelations through the, all of that testimony. Um, I know what, you know, the speaker took the, uh, the stand yesterday. We're recording this on Friday, the, uh, the 9th of October, he took the stand yesterday. So, um, you know, there's, (laughs) uh, you know, the, one of the big takeaways was apparently, you know, um, some of the folks who worked on the Matty Yellow campaign talked about opposition research and, uh, um, follow, you know, Mr. Uh, Steve Frias, the Republican, uh, uh, candidate who gave the speaker very close challenges the last two times in 16, I guess, uh, was being surveilled a bit. Um, you know, the, the speaker, I believe, you know, through his testimony, which I've only absorbed through, through Twitter and coverage, but, um, you know, again, sought to distance himself from all of this. He's maintained all along that that he didn't have a part in it. I guess the other revelation was that he um, he testified that he, you know, was angry over this mailer that's at the heart of all of this when he found out about it. And, uh, uh, you know, anyway, I won't I won't try to give the full blow by blow here. I'd I will say uh, the the but but you know well I'll I'll be following back on this circling back for some more comprehensive coverage um, in next week's Herald and I know from my my understanding is that uh, a decision this is the Mr. Britt waived his right to a jury trial this will be uh, um, the the judge in the case will be making the decision and I know that isn't likely for a few weeks I think it was four to six weeks so we likely won't know how this turns out until after election. Um, day of the trial, but it's certainly given more fodder to uh, uh, the speaker's opponent, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, who was a guest of ours recently. And uh, go back and check out that episode to hear from her. She was on the po- political roundtable with Ian Donis on the Public's Radio today, um, which is uh, if you want to get some more fresh feedback from her on the trial, because we spoke with her before the trial. Um, so I don't know. 
Am I missing anything there, Jake? What, do you have any impressions of this whole situation? I think you pretty much uh, encapsulated the best you could in a couple of minutes right there. For somebody also watching from the outside, I think you uh, you hit all the, hit all the greatest hits right there. There we go. It's, I'm the I'm the ultimate aggregator right here. Indeed, Dane <laughs> Kittredge, the ultimate aggregator. You need to know something. He's he's got it. I'm gonna see if like maybe I can get that nickname to stick. Call me the aggregator. It's it's a little clunky off the tongue, but I think you can you might be able to make it stick. <laughs> oh boy, we'll see. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm out of gas today. I'm sure a lot of people yeah. feel this. And now we're moving into the holidays, getting into the... My God, this year has been uh, something else. But you see any of the... Uh, I was watching the... Uh, after the debate, I got home, and I hadn't realized that Bucks bears game was going to be on uh, Fox. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't catch much of that, mostly because uh, I was playing a video game with some friends, but I was uh, I was in and out of that game. I did see that uh, Mr. Brady was a little uh, apoplectic with his teammates. He was, and at the, at the end of the game, the last play, he forgot what down it was. I did. I saw that. He forgot. What, did he like, throw it away? I didn't see the play. I mean, it was – they they had to spike it. I mean, they got the ball back, and they were down, what, one with, like, like a minute 15 left or something and they they started off the drive they got he got some yardage but then uh he, he was throwing these kind of over the middle passes um trying to pick up big chunks and it wasn't working out and then uh i forget who he targeted on that final but it was fourth down it was the you know it was do or die and he he just kind of tried to force it in over the middle and uh uh, I forget if it was Evans or who, but um, and then he, you know, he puts up four fingers like, "No, we're this is fourth down." Nope, sorry, Tom. Uh, that's uh, you know, we all we all make Brian Hoyer esque mistakes now and then, don't we? I actually miss I've missed the Pats the last couple of because uh, wow. I've, I've been busy on the weekends. I haven't. This was the most football I've gotten to watch. Cherish so. your views of the Pats because who knows how much longer the season's going to go on. Yeah, it's getting a little dicey. The uh, the Jets just had a positive test today, and they sent everybody home. So, oh goodness! And the yeah. Jets played the Broncos last week, and the Patriots play the Broncos this week. And I don't think the NFL understands what an incubation period is, but uh, it, it's it it's it seems like a dangerous display of hubris to me. Um, the fact that they thought, thought they thought they could get through this entire season without the virus coming to them, and it it's. It's really testing how the NFL is responding to this, and right now they are uh, failing the litmus, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I know baseball had its issues earlier on, mostly, but uh, yeah, this is not it doesn't bode well for them. It's going to be so disruptive, you know. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's strange. That, it's been a bummer. I mean, ever I, I was so excited about the Celtics and. Uh, I really enjoyed the NBA bubble when it was at its height there and there were games on like, it was like March madness, you know, it was like four games a day when the playoffs started and stuff. And, uh, then our, our beloved Celtics got knocked out and, uh, yeah, well, in my mind, they're still playing in my head. They're still around. going to see, even though, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the result would have been much different for the Celtics, but, uh, would have been fun to watch them in the finals. Yeah. Yeah. I was excited. Would have been nice. It's just uh, you know you don't play well, you you don't deserve to be there. But uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting. I mean, I think hockey hockey apparently hockey and bas- basketball did it did it the best. I mean, baseballs had hiccups and they seem to be doing better now. Now the playoffs are around and they're in sort of a bubble situation of in one city and kind of keeping things all contained. But I mean, football by far has done the worst. And I mean, it's it's not it's like they didn't even try. Quite honestly, they just they got a couple of weeks. Finally, there were some tests and uh, positive tests, and it's 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 not a disaster yet, but it can very quickly get there, as we have seen. Yeah. Well, we'll wish Cam well, Cam Newton and uh, Stephon Gilmore well. We'll hope that uh, that the NFL can uh, keep this under wraps, and uh, it'll be fun to have football. Obviously, we hope uh, safety is first. So. Safety is always first. Yeah, yeah, because this is no, this is nothing to mess around with. So, anyway, on a brighter note, and uh, uh, to wrap things up, I guess um, 
like I, I mentioned, uh, I've got a little bit of a, uh, I've got a few interviews in the queue here that I've, I'm trying to get out the door. Um, so to give a quick rundown, I'm thinking for, uh, for this episode, uh, we'll, we'll include my interview with Nicole Renzulli, um, Republican citywide candidate for city council in Cranston. Um, we had a chance to sit down, uh, oh God, what day was it? Last Friday, I had a I had a back-to-back-to-back interviews with some candidates in the afternoon. So it was good. Uh, some folks I'd been meeting or, you know, speaking with uh, at length for the first time. So it was nice. But uh, Nicole's, uh, you know, one of the folks that's gotten kind of involved through Councilman Hopkins, um, you know, knows him, uh, known him for a while. She's she's on the, uh, the younger side, um, as are a number of the candidates running this year. But... Uh, um, it was great to hear from her. Nice to meet her. We had a great conversation. So we'll, uh, in a minute, we'll go to her interview just to give you a roundup of who else I'll, uh, I'll be putting out a series of other episodes today and tomorrow. Um, also today I'll, uh, release, uh, the conversation I had with Bob Ferry, Republican citywide council, uh, council candidate in Cranston. Um, then, uh, also, I think I'll put out the episode with uh, Paul Bucci. He's a Democrat running for the Ward 6 seat in the Cranston City Council. That's a seat that's been held by Mike Favicchio, a Republican, for um, 10 years. The Councilman Favicchio is term limited, can't run again. Um, so Paul is running for the seat. Uh, so is Republican Matt Riley, who I spoke with a while ago for an interview in print in the paper. I'm hoping to get on the podcast as well. But you'll hear from Paul in one of these episodes. Later today, I'm meeting with uh, Anise Germain, Ward 2 City Councilwoman in Cranston. She was recently appointed to the seat um, that was vacated when Paul McCauley uh, resigned unexpectedly earlier this year, um, or just a couple months ago, I suppose. But uh, um, Anise has quite a story. Um, she's from Haiti. She's, uh, she, she left uh, uh, that, her home country to, to build a new life here, and um, she's got a great story. She was, uh, she's seeking a full term on the council this year. Um, and yesterday I, uh, got a chance to speak with her, uh, Republican opponent, Zach Saylor. He is another, uh, he, I think he's the youngest of the candidates. You know, Zach, uh, you're familiar with Zach a little bit from his time as an athlete and coach. Yes, indeed. Yes. He, uh, I believe he played and coached a little bit when I was covering sports, uh, at the Herald. He was, uh, he was a very good athlete and a very nice guy. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not surprised that uh, that people are getting behind his cause. Well, he said hello, and uh, he's another of the, these folks that uh, is kind of uh, one of Councilman Hopkins' recruits, I guess you could call him. So um, it was a good conversation with him. So probably tomorrow or over the weekend, I'll do a back-to-back with uh, the two Ward 2 candidates um, in Cranston. But uh, so today, look out for, uh, for uh, Bob Ferry and Paul Bucci. And right now, we'll head to my conversation with Nicola Renzulli. Um, am I missing anything there, Jake? No, again, that was a comprehensive wrap-up. It's like watching Jordan in the final three minutes of a finals game. Just, my God. You just stand back and let him go. That's, I'm like, uh, no, who's like the in, most incomprehensible uh, chucker or, or unconscionable chucker? I mean, I don't, I don't want to say Marcus Smart, but Marcus <laughs> Smart. <laughs> He's up there, yeah. Yes. But call me Marcus Smart any day. Bring the I just make winning plays out here. Yes, yes, indeed, making winning plays. If I can be the Vincent Poirier to your Marcus Smart, I'll be happy about that. <laughs> the art of the charge. That's Drawing right. The charge. That's, right. That's right. I'm like Kemba Walker taking charges all day. <laughs> uh, we doing a we doing a wrap up after your interview or no? No, I think we'll just. Uh, well, on um, on that yeah, note, as a as a quick a quick aside, uh, before we before we head off, just a quick uh, uh, pop culture recommendation. I've watched the season finale of The Boys on Amazon Prime. It's a yeah. fantastic show. Uh, the they dropped the season finale early. It's supposed to come out on Friday. It came out like ten o'clock on Thursday. So I ripped right through it with my friend. Uh, we kind of watched it at the same time. Amazing, highly recommended. If you like. Uh, you know, if you like superhero stuff, you'll love it. But it's also it's it's more than that. It's kind of a look at capitalism and kind of how everything gets you know becomes corporate. It's a really cool, interesting series based off a comic book. But I love it. It's executive produced by Seth Rogen, I think. So uh, 
really, I recommend it if you're into that kind of stuff. It's on Amazon Prime. Two full seasons now. So if you're looking for something to watch, uh, I, The Boys is, is uh, fantastic. Highly recommend. Right on. I'll keep that in mind. Yes, indeed. Lately, I've been cycling back through uh, old Ken Burns and PBS documentaries. Yep. I've been rewatching Halloween because it's uh, October, and Halloween's one of my favorite movies. The original, I should clarify, not the Rob Zombie remake or the new one, uh, the original Halloween. But, uh, but yeah, I could, I could definitely see going through some old Ken Burns stuff. That'll take up some time. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, listening to a podcast. You know, I can just sit down, and, and if I fiddle on my phone, I'm still kind of absorbing the information, and uh, it's kind of a soothing watch, too, for the most part. Mm, absolutely I bet it is very 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 calming Ken Burns yeah. always well with that thank you Jake good to catch up and do this uh, we'll, we'll uh, let's aim to do this again next week too and uh, with that we'll go to my interview with Nicole Renzulli thanks all for listening we'll talk to you soon I'm 36 years old. I am from Cranston, um, born and raised here, went through the public schools. Um, my mom came here from Portugal. My dad is actually from Cranston. I have a younger sister um, who went through Cranston Public Schools as well, and now she is an attorney and lives in New Jersey. Um, after high school, I graduated from Cranston West. I went to Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida, and I wanted to be a news reporter. And um, so I studied English because I liked writing and communications, and I interned at a news station. And um, I was also on the track team there and the cross-country team, and I really loved it there. Um, I interned at a news station as a producer, and I liked it, but... Um, I want I wanted to come home I missed my family and they missed me so so I moved home and um, you know decided I was gonna start my life here I have had a range of range of jobs um, from from being a waitress all the way to um, working at the Department of Business Regulations for the state I worked for directly for the Health Insurance Commissioner Kathleen Hitner um, so I've worked in government um, in communications now I work in marketing I'm kind of a Jill of all trades that's what people say to me I do a little bit of everything um, currently my main job is I'm a coach a track and cross-country coach for Western Hills Middle School yeah. and Cranston High School West and I love that I get to work with the kids um, be a positive influence on them and it kind of brings me back full circle um, I'm raising my family in Cranston I have a husband uh, Joe, he's wonderful and very supportive and one of the main reasons why I can run for office um, because we have three children and in the pandemic, you know, I know a lot of women have been shouldering a, a ton of the responsibility for kids. So I can't say that it's been easy, you know, homeschooling kids and running for office and working, but um, having my husband has really enabled me to do that. Um, he works for um, his family's small business. It's a design and display company, which um, when I got quarantined, because Cranston West got quarantined, so, you know, one of the first places, I said, maybe we should pivot and make some plexiglass, you know, stands. And that's the direction that we went in. So we've been providing a lot for the community, helping restaurants, being able to open their bars and barbershops. And so that's been a great opportunity. And I've been able to help do the marketing for that. Um, that's, that's pretty much my background. I do a lot of different things. So I work with a lot of different people, um, from all different backgrounds. And I enjoy that because it's really helped me to build a network 
and yeah. have uh, a lot of different perspectives. How's the coaching going? Is the season underway? Well, so the middle school, they canceled sports. They canceled fall sports. Mm. Um, I also coach at CLCF, and I'm on the board there. And we can still have, we can still run as a club team. So I do do coach that, um, and that's going well. My son runs. He's 11 years old, and that's his his passion. For the last, I don't know, three or four years, we've gone to um, I think eight national championships. He's made it to. So I've been able to take him to that and coach him and be his mom, and that was it's pretty incredible. That's great. Yeah. What led you to the decision to run for council this year? Well, I have been approached about it in the past, but it never seemed like the right time. Mm-hmm. And then this year, you know, it was kind of during COVID that I decided there's never going to be a right time, mm-hmm. and there's a lot to do. Um, you know, the city where you know, as soon as Mr. Hopkins declared that he was going to run for mayor as well, then it was going to be a completely, you know, new citywide slate. Yeah. And I said, well, if there has to be three new people, why shouldn't I be one of them? I love Cranston and I'm from here. So I, you know, have roots and I'm really invested here just, you know, because I'm from here, I have kids and I work with kids in our community. So the future of Cranston is super important to me. And I decided to give it a go. Sure. In terms of the, the big issues that will be facing the next council and mayor, perhaps the largest, I think, is the, the fiscal situation. Um, there's still no state budget. There's a lot of aid yeah. in limbo. There's questions about the revenue side. Um, what's kind of your, your take on the situation? What would your approach be if you're elected to the council? Well, I think it's really hard to say what our exact situation is because that there's no state budget. So we don't know what we're going to get from the state. I think that, you know, if we get paid the, um, you know, payment in lieu of taxes uh, with the, the state buildings that are in Cranston, if we get the CARES money for the schools, we, we might be in okay shape. If we can help keep the restaurants open um, as long as possible, you know, before it's too cold to sit outside, or if we figure out how we can help businesses make more money so they're bringing in more tax revenue. We don't know that the budget, we don't know how far off it is. Mm-hmm. And from there, we'll just have to go line by line and see where we can cut spending without cutting services. Because I don't think that at a time when, you know, everyone's having a tough time, that we should really be cutting services. It's important that everything that people need gets funded. Yeah. Are there, I mean, you mentioned, you know, avoiding service cuts. I mean, are there any other tools that are particularly on the table or off the table from your perspective. There's been talk of, you know, the need for a supplemental tax increase, obviously for, for you know, layoffs, that kind of thing. Any ways to, to, or is it at this point still just purely a wait and see for you? Well, I think it's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to raise taxes. I think that it's, you know, if you have to raise taxes, you have to raise taxes. But if you can avoid it, I think that imposing an increased tax on people when they could have lost their jobs and when they're already having a tough time is a bad way to try and make up the budget. So we have to figure out other things to do. Um, and I really think just increasing for the businesses would be, would be the biggest help with the budget. And, you know, we have a good rainy day fund. So if we had to take from it, we could, we want to avoid that too, because we want to have the rainy day fund so we continue to get good bond ratings and, you know, but if we have to, I'd rather take a little bit from there than raise everybody's taxes, yeah. personally. The biggest piece of this whole uncertainty, or one of the largest pieces, is the, this $4 million in, in education aid that's in limbo because of the state budget. Yeah. I guess more broadly, in terms of education funding, you know, what's the approach? What, what would the, your tax be on the council to ensure the district is getting the resources it needs going forward? Well, th- the schools need the funding. Like, we want them to do more with less right now um i think the city had no choice but to you know take it from the city's budget until we knew we were getting the money from the state but the state is holding on to cares money other states have released the cares money to the districts because i've done research on it and i you know seen that they were able to get all sorts of ppe and stuff that they need to open the schools safely and so more people were comfortable and we haven't received that so i mean i know a lot of that's going to end up being working with um 
you know, our legislature and, you know, figuring that out. We have to get the money for the schools. That, that's that's non-negotiable for about, me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's it. How about the, the school reopening process? Uh, what are your thoughts on how that's gone so far and where it's heading? Well, so I have, I have twin girls who are four years old. So we opted, you know, just to, to keep them home, to not put them in, in a pre-K. Yeah. And um, that's easy. I can teach. I can teach them from home. My son is 11 years old, and he's going into middle school. And um, originally, I had selected the plan that would keep him home 100% of the time. But then I, I did watch the school committee meetings. Um, I do have good relationships with school committee members, and you know, I kind of followed along to see what they were going to be doing. And I felt comfortable letting him go in and try the hybrid approach. And if it, you know, if it didn't work, I knew that I could probably pull him and he could just do distance learning. Whereas if you did distance learning, you might not be able to get your, your kid in school if, you, if that's not working out, because there might not be a spot. Um, I know that it was kind of a split decision. I'm in all the parent groups on Facebook. Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's concerned, but I have to say that I trust the school committee members and the superintendent to make the right choice for the students. They're not going to put them in harm's way because um, that's going to eventually fall back on them. Yeah. So, and because I work in the schools as a coach, I have relationships with principals and I talk to teachers and, you know, if they were comfortable going in, they were going to go in. And if they had to teach from home, they were going to teach from home. And that's what they had to do. I know personally, I had, you know, put out an offer. If anyone needs PPE, masks, this, that, like, let us let me know so I can try and get it provided to you. Yeah. I think that's important. Um, I think parents want to help, and sometimes they don't know how. Um, so I think being in alignment with the school committee and also with different parent groups, we can get a lot of stuff done and not leave it all on the school committee. And I think that's a like a good way to go about it. But so far, so good. My son started school this week in school, and. He said it was he was fine. They had masks the whole time. They had mass breaks outside. Um, his class only had five kids in it. So, I mean, to me, he probably got more attention than he would have gotten in a, in a regular year when there's 28 kids in your class. So, yeah. so far, so good. Um, I think that we really have to just be, everything has to be fluid. If something goes wrong, we got to adjust. If it goes right, we can take steps to keep moving forward. But that's how you have to be with everything. You just have to be flexible and you know i really feel for parents that don't have flexible jobs though yeah. because to, to work and not know where your your kid is going to do school is very is a very stressful situation i don't know how we personally can solve that that problem but it's definitely something that you know needs to be continually on our minds as we as we make, create policy and do things we have to think about working families all the time but especially in a pandemic when sure. kids are home you can't just leave them home, so. Yeah. Pivot to uh, economic development. There's been a couple of big flashpoints around this whole, you know, area. The the solar farms in Western Cranston last year. Most recently, the the Costco Cranston Crossing proposal, which has been delayed a little bit, but was a became a really big issue on the campaign. What's kind of your your view of economic development? Your approach? Um, your vision for where the city should head? So. Um, as far as the solar farms, you know, I believe in that we need renewable energy. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are pro-solar, but we need to do it in a way that, you know, works for the community. I was not, I was not involved in that process. Um, and I know it was kind of split of who, who wanted it and who didn't. And they, um, they're, they're doing one of the, they're doing one. I don't think they're going to do any more big solar farms over there right now. Um, so, I mean, I think that if the city is going to end up saving a lot of money, then we're going to need that money, and it's going to be renewable energy. No one wants it in their backyard. I know, you know, my, my family lives in Alpine Estates, and they don't want to see the ones that are the in Johnston. But it, if we want to have solar energy, it has to go somewhere. Um, I don't think that it should take over all of our, our rural and suburban areas, but... It's going to have to be a compromise, just like, you know, economic development with big box stores. I think Costco, we would be very, I think it would be very smart to take Costco into Cranston, just not necessarily 
at Mulligan's Island location. Costco is a great employer. You know, they, they have great pay. We need jobs. It would bring like 250 jobs, I think. Um, they provide great health care, but it doesn't suit the neighborhood. Yeah. The neighbors don't want it. It's a, the neighborhood group over there is a wonderfully educated group. They're very well organized. They know what they're talking about. They've fought things like this before. And, you know, I, I was super impressed with, with them and their presentation. And I was less impressed with the, develop, the developer's presentation and response to them. Um, so like I said, I think Costco is a good idea, not necessarily at Mulligan's Island. I would personally prefer um, to see some kind of recreational facility at Mulligan's Island. We don't have a large indoor recreational facility for kids in Cranston to, to play sports. We are always shipping them out to a wide world of sports and other cities, other states. When we could have a big complex there, we could make money off of that too. Um, and I think that that would go well with the neighborhood. It wouldn't be so much of a traffic issue. Um, we could have outdoor fields there too. It would stay recreational. I know there are businesses at Mulligan's Island that are doing well and could be part of a recreational facility. So I think with economic development, we would be better suited to be proactive instead of reactive. If we're trying, we need to try to bring things in that suit the area and then we won't be going through a process, you know, with a negative response from the neighborhood. Like what does, would the neighborhood like to go here? It's not always going to be a group says we want this and we can go get it. But I think it would be a good idea to see what fits the area. If we're trying to keep open space, it needs to be something that, that goes with that climate. You know what I mean? And I think that that would just be an easier way to go about it. I think it's always easier to be proactive than reactive and it would keep everyone happy. And if the community's happy, then, you know, we're doing our job. Yeah. How about fostering, you know, small business growth and, and revitalizing some of the neighborhoods and particular areas, you know, Rob Square comes to mind, that corner mm -hmm. in Edgewood. Um, is the city doing enough there? What, what could you, you know, what, what do you think might be done differently? Um, I know that there has been talk. Um, Mr. Hopkins, who's running for mayor, has talked extensively about redeveloping Ralph Square, making it more like a main street in East Greenwich. I think that would be fantastic. Like to revitalize that area and to the beautification of an area just brings up the morale of the neighborhoods that are around there. And it increases jobs, you know, coffee shops, little restaurants, little mom and pop places that, you know, people, people want to open up. Like entrepreneurship is so wonderful for the, for the community. It just brings in positive spirits. And I think that, you know, we could, we could beautify that area, make it look more like a main street for, for not a ton of money. I think it would be cost, cost effective and the return on investment would be high. Um, I think the process for small businesses, we need to have that extremely clear in Spanish and in English. Um, we need to make it easier and there to be less red tape for, for people to open a business. Not to say that it's super difficult right now, but it needs to be very clear. And I think more people will be apt to opening businesses. They can, you know, interest rates are low right now. Um, people may have lost a job, but have a, have a great idea and they want to open a business and they need to know how. Yeah. We need to be really business friendly um, and that will help, help the whole city. Sure. Another ongoing discussion has been diversity and particularly making the city's workforce more reflective of a community that's that's become increasingly diverse in recent years. Um, how effective has the city been in your view? What can be done to, to improve on that front? Well, um, I you know, did listen to the diversity commission meeting. Um, there was a presentation from one one Cranston, I believe. Um, and, you know, obviously you know, numbers don't lie. There's not a ton of, of diversity in the in the city workers. Yeah. Um, to inc increase that, I know for say fire and police, just as an example, I think that if we proactively brought fire and police into the schools in a similar way that, um, you know, the military goes into schools, the National Guard, and kind of starts young, 
talking to kids about about the job, talking to them at Cranston East, talking to them at Cranston West. There might be there might be more applicants. Have some kind of internship program so that kids are now comfortable with police officers, with fire, with the job, know what to do. I think starting in the schools could really help, you know, the diversity in hiring. It would be diversity in the applicant base. I won't say that I, I know how diverse the applicant base is currently. I'd have to, you know, go to each department and ask. Um, but if the applicant pool is more diverse, then I think it's more diverse people are going to get the jobs to begin with. I don't know how diverse it is right now. Um, and any red tape to the process, you know, yeah. we have to get rid of that too. I know that with fire, I think it was paying for some, the, EMTC, the EMT, yeah, the yeah. So it was you know if you could get rid of that, that was going to open the door to more to more people yeah. to be able to apply. So doing small things like that could make could make huge differences. Yeah. It could and. You know, I think in any public job, like we could bring, the, I know the pathway programs are working really well at the schools yeah. and there could be, you know, pathway programs for, for teaching, for education. And, you know, I, I read all the time. I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert in it, but I do read that, you know, students who learn better from teachers that look like them. And, you know, so maybe we have to intentionally hire teachers or try to, um, there are different programs that they use across the country to intentionally hire a more diverse teaching um, staff yeah. that goes with, you know, the population of the school. And then if we have the, the pathway program for teaching, more, you know, children of color will go into that program and then maybe come back as teachers, bring more into the program, and it becomes a cycle. And then it will just increase organically at that point um there could be more internships you know bringing kids into to city work we could do a lot of stuff that won't cost a lot of money but will naturally diversify our workforce it just has to be you know i trust the diversity commission you know to be on top of these things that would be something i would love to get involved in i think you have to get appointed to that um but we have to keep on top of it it has to be consistent it can't be a thing that just comes up you know twice a year and we do a report and then you know no one talks about it again yeah. it has to be consistent we have to do it year over year and then it will just start to grow and you mentioned the, the idea of making you know small business support materials available in spanish as well and I know you, you've received the endorsement of a forgive me if i'm misnaming the group of the rhode island latino political action committee was mm -hmm. it? yep so you, how did that come about did you uh, pitch to that group or is that um, I applied for it. It was an application process. You answered questions, and then um, we did Zoom interviews, and they, they made their selection. So, you know, I was excited about that. I, that was the first. I've never been involved in politics at all. So, for me, everything is new, and everything is a first. Um, but just to go through that process and to learn more about what is important um, to the Latino community, was it was important to me because... Whether I'm selected to be on the council or not, I'm now more invested because I know what, what's going on and I know that, you know, there are a lot of people who, who don't love Cranston as much as I do because maybe they're not having the same experience living here as I had. And I want them to have the same experience. And for that, I need to know what is missing from their lives and then, you know, so I can advocate on, you know, how to fix it, how to get it because... I want everyone to love living here and to raise children who love living here, who have good experiences in the schools and the sports and can go on and, you know, maybe come back around and get jobs here. Cause that would be great. We have, you know, to have homegrown kids still work in the city as adults and then raise their families here, I think is wonderful. And we need to create those opportunities, but we have to listen first to see, you know, what's missing. One other issue I've been touching with folks on the idea that, um, you know, but if, if you win by the time you're sworn in, we, we don't know exactly what the climate will look like, but I, I assume there'll be still some pandemic-related restrictions in place. It, they've obviously affected city business and public meetings have moved to Zoom and that kind of thing. Um, what would your approach be in terms of ensuring meetings, you know, public, that government, local government is accessible and transparent to folks? Well, 
I can tell you that when I worked for the state of Rhode Island, I worked, you know, in a communications type role. So every year we had to go um, to an all day summit, an open meeting summit and learn about open government, transparency, the open meeting laws. So, I mean, that was maybe six years ago that I did that, but I kind of keep up with it. I read about it because, you know, every time there's a meeting, I want to know that they're following open meetings law. And I think that it's important that we do those things and that we're accessible, not only because we need to follow the law, but because we need the input of the community. I think that we're doing, you'd be doing yourself a disservice not to have the input because there's smart people who live in Cranston. Nine people on the council don't need to do everything. If we can work with our community, you know, it's, you know, two heads are better than one. Well, a whole city's heads are better than nine. We can work with a community and they need to be able to listen to the meetings to know what's going on. Yeah. So using Zoom or using Facebook Live or streaming to YouTube, whatever we have to do, um, I think it's important that people have access to, yeah. to what's going on. I just always think that that's important. And I think that um, when people have access and they can understand what's going on, they're less, I don't want to say less likely to complain, but when you have the facts of what's happening, I feel like your complaints are more valid. When you don't know what's going on and you just want to go off on Facebook because you're angry about something, like you need to have like you have legitimate complaints and the opportunity to say them on the record, not just on Facebook. I agree. I really hope that the streaming, you know, it's, it makes it easy. It's so much yeah. easier for people to access these proceedings. I want that to be permanent. Yeah, me too. That would be one of the first things that I would try and get through um, the council is to have to have it permanent because, you know, they say. I know, I think an ordinance was presented, you know, to have childcare at city council meetings. And well, I like the idea of that as a mother, because um, that directly affects me. I think that it would be better to be able to, to live stream everything. I think it's a liability to have um, childcare at, at city hall, and then you need to hire someone qualified and CPR and to watch the kids. And then it only really helps people with kids. Whereas, you know, there's other people who, who work late and could listen to a Zoom in the car or who, you know. So I think just coming up with those ways to be, make everything available to people, to the masses, not to just one group of people because it sounds good, yeah. you know. And, you know, video, that's, that's a new wave. Everything can be done on video. It could be done that way for a while. But being in person is great, but also streaming it I mean, why not? What's yeah. what's the what's the loss there? You know what I mean? We have to have people that are able to to operate it, and then then it comes into does everybody have internet? So that's a whole other thing. But it's a step in the right direction, and that's all we can do is take steps in the right direction until we get to where we're going. Sure. To go to a little, uh, I'm calling it a lightning round to okay. run down uh, your your views on some of the other bond and ballot questions that are going before folks or okay. folks uh, November third. The, the largest, of course, is this $147 million school facilities improvement bond. Are, are you supporting that? I will vote for the school bond. Um, working in the schools, there are parts of the schools that still look the same as when I went to them. So we need to update the schools. And I think it's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our, our bond our rates to be so low. And at the same time, we're going to get something like a 70% reimbursement rate from the state. I think we have to take advantage of that. Um, as a coach, I, I hate to see kids like come to middle school and then they're going to private schools for high school because their parents are saying they have a better opportunity there. I want the best opportunities to be for these kids here in our public schools in Cranston for everybody. So it doesn't have to do with how much money you make or um, any kind of status. Just you have the best opportunities in Cranston. That will bring you know, more people to Cranston. That will bring more business to Cranston because, you know, business goes where qualified people are to work at the businesses. You have good schools. You have, you bring in more people. I think it will be wonderful. And kids learn better in a, you know, a better atmosphere, positive atmosphere, clean. They have different ways of learning now. So spaced out, they have all different things in the bond that I think we would be crazy not to pass that when we have such a low rate right now. We have we have to do it because if we don't do it now, I don't know when the opportunity would arise again. Yeah. 
to another much smaller question, $5 million uh, climate bond that's been called to provide some money for renewable energy and energy efficiency in city buildings. Are you supporting that? Yes. Um, I think renewable energy is important. Um, climate change is important. I have so many priorities that, you know, I can't say where that is on the list. I think we are a, you know, a small part of a, you know, a big, pro big problem. But if we can, you know, start small, set an example, start getting renewable energy um, in the city buildings, people start doing it in their homes, we all, we have to do our part. We have to set a good example. And if, again, when we have a good bond rating, now's a good time. Sure. There are four proposed amendments to the city's charter also on the ballot. I'm not sure if you have, have takes on these at this point, or I'll, I'll pick them off. The first is a reduction in the tax uh, levy cap, or increase, excuse me. Um, the state has a 4% limit. This would allow, or set the city's limit at 3% annually. Yeah, I think that that's fine. You know, I, I don't want to really raise taxes, so capping it means that someone else couldn't. So I th I'm, fine. I'm good with that. I think it's a good idea. How about the proposal to set a minimum balance for the rainy day fund at five percent of the city's operating budget i think that's definitely necessary um that's going to force whatever administration is in you know and whatever city council is in to be fiscally responsible and when we have more money in the rainy day fund we're going to get a better bond rating then we're going to get to do all these other things so it all it all goes together sure. another would expand the mayor's veto authority allow the mayor to veto uh, decreases the council makes to the budget as well as Okay, I think that, yep, that, that should go, that should go through. Um, the, the mayor should be able to tell the council that, no, you can't lower this, this part of the budget. They're, they're gonna go increase it somewhere else. Um, I think it's important that if you're gonna have that authority, you need to have it both ways. Sure. And the final uh, charter question was uh, adding some language about um, redistricting, specifically aimed at curbing gerrymandering in the creation of ward lines, adding language that, you know, regarding uh, geographical and neighborhood continuity, mm -hmm. you know, requiring that be used in the process. Yeah, I think that, you know, neighborhoods need to stay together. That, that's just how it should work. They shouldn't be able to go slice and dice, you shouldn't be able to slice and dice things, you know, for your own agenda. So just keep the neighborhoods together. Do you have any thoughts on the uh, statewide bond or ballot question on the removal of profit plantations from the state's name? I think that, you know, it seem, it's bothering a lot of people. So just remove it. I, I don't think that we are necessary. It's, it hurts us more than it helps us. I get that it's a historical thing. Um, but I think the easiest thing to do is just, it's just the end of a name. But no one calls us that anyway. Everyone just calls us Rhode Island. So I have no problem with that. Turning to politics, I know uh, I saw you at Councilman Hopkins' event on primary night. Obviously, he won quite handily. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on the race for mayor? Any concerns over party unity heading into November on the GOP side? No, I mean, Mr. Hopkins did it. He did an excellent job. I've known Mr. Hopkins since I was maybe 10 years old. I went to school with his daughters. Um, I know him through sports. And um, he's, he's just a wonderful person. And... He, he, we have a good working relationship and he, he cares about Cranston. He is a, a people's mayor. And I think that, um, you know, personally, that's how I am. So that's why I think that we, we connect well. I want to work for the community and so does he. And when we go knock doors, like you can, you can see it, the conversations that he has with people and, you know, their receptiveness, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. And that's how I think you know, the mayor should be, he should be a person of the people. So um, I don't think anyone thought that he was going to um, win so big, mm -hmm. but you know, we were, we were very excited that he did. And I think the party has, we've been working really hard. We've been working together. Um, we call ourselves team Cranston. Um, we bounce ideas off each other. I found everyone to be, you know, very open-minded between the citywide candidates, the wards, the mayor's staff. We are trying to move forward together. Yeah. I think it's important that we that we work together because you're, you know, you're better together. Sure. If you're elected, you'll be part of a council that, you know, is going to see a lot of change, as many as five new faces. There was a resignation and an appointment award too, but, uh, um, you know, our, how do you see 
fitting in and are you concerned at all about the loss of experience and institutional knowledge from the, the folks that are term limited and leaving this term? Um, well, I think it's, you know, it's always hard when you lose people that have been there for, for a long time. Um, but I think, you know, in, in Councilman Brady and Councilman Pavlovskis, um, they, for me personally, have been great mentors. They're super accessible. Um, so if elected, I would certainly um, look to them for advice if I needed it. Um, same thing on the other side, uh, Lamas and John Donegan. I've, I've spoke to them before. I don't have, you know, I have, you know, a separate relationship with, with Chris and Ed. I've known them for a long time. Um, but I think everyone is super nice. And if we just work together and, you know, focus on the good in people and assume positive intent in, ev in everyone and what they're trying to do, I mean, me personally, I plan to work across party lines. I'm trying to do whatever is best for the city of Cranston. It has nothing to do with being a, a Democrat or a Republican. I know that, you know, keeping the majority as Republicans, it's important to get things done. Um, and they've gotten a lot done under Mayor Fung. He's done an excellent job. I think he's, you know, one of the most loved mayors ever he's united republicans and democrats when we go knock on doors you know sometimes you would think you would go to a democrat door and they might not want to talk to you but they love mayor funk so they do want to talk to you and that's great because that's how i envision things like people over over politics and what you're going to do um versus your the little letter next to your name um so i think that you know as long as we do research, read, study. That's what I do as a person in general, um, and work together. Then, then it'll be okay. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And good luck. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Radio Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RhodeyBeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.